Miracy. But, you know, that's not how business works. That's not how we can build relationships with people. So um, it's really important to sort of separate ourselves, I think, from our services and from our business so that it's not quite so entangled with our self-worth. Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. My name is Melinda Cohen, and I run a business called The Coaches Console. The Coaches Console has supported more than 50,000 entrepreneurs in creating their own profitable coaching business. Today, we're going to talk about a difficult but important topic and a reaction you'll probably confront more than once in your business career. I'm talking about price resistance. As your business experience and expertise grows, there inevitably comes a time when you decide you want to raise your rates to better reflect the value of your services. Or maybe a new client is resisting your existing price. How do you tell your clients? And what do you do when someone resists your price? To talk about this today, I've invited Bumi Patak, the CFO at Miracy. But before I bring Bumi on, I'm going to read a listener mail from a coach that reflects today's topic. As I've said in earlier episodes, unless you tell me otherwise, any email that you send me that we read on the air will be anonymous. We want to make sure and encourage you to be open about what's troubling you without worrying about what your clients might think. Here's what Anonymous had to say. Dear Melinda, I have an old client that wants to rehire me and my services. She would be a great client for me. And my services are exactly what the client wants and needs. But we are stuck regarding the price. She's reluctant to pay my current rate. I am convinced my pricing is fair, but I'm starting to feel insecure about it. How do I argue for my pricing? Should I make an exception in this case? Dear Anonymous, I am so glad you brought this topic up. It can definitely be tough for coaches to talk about money. But I have to tell you from the get-go, I never argue for my rates. I argue for the client's results. If you get into a discussion about pricing before you've established the value of your services, that'll result in a bidding war. That's never a conversation I want to get into. In fact, if my clients are objecting to my rates or want to negotiate my rates, that's a big red flag that tells me they're making coaching all about the money and not about the results. It's also a sign to me that I need to shift the conversation. I need to get the conversation refocused on the value that my coaching will provide. Today on Just Between Coaches is our guest, Bumi Patak. Bumi is the Chief Financial Officer at Miracy. She also works very closely with Miracy's ACES coaches. Welcome, Bumi. Great to be here, Melinda. I'm so excited to be here and to be talking with you about this topic. I couldn't think of a better person to have on the show for this. Well, thank you. I'm excited. It's such an important topic. We serve a community of coaches and consultants. A lot of our coaches and consultants who work with us, they struggle with this exact same issue. Bumi, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, just to give our listeners a picture of who you are and where you come from? Yeah, for sure. So my background is actually in corporate consulting and in finance. But seven years ago, I joined my husband and now business partner, Danny Inney, on his business called Miracy. We help expert entrepreneurs, coaches, consultants grow their businesses. We do that through two mediums. So we have online courses where people can take the online courses and we support them with it. And then we have an online business coaching program called ACES. Um, So over the last five years, 
I've literally worked with hundreds of our clients to help them grow their businesses, work with a team of coaches um, to help them support our clients as well. Awesome. Well, I am excited to have you on Just Between Coaches and for us to dive into the issue of price resistance. To start off our conversation, can you give us your view on price resistance and why so many coaches face that problem? Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you and they just have to figure out how to make it happen. So it's great that you're getting price resistance, just enjoy it. So it's not an objection. It's really a signal that they're ready to work with you. Um, Melinda, I completely agree with what you said earlier around, you know, if they're really resisting to your price, it's because they, they don't see the value potentially. On the other end, sometimes what I've seen happen is that when we're trying to raise our price, you know, we hit the price resistance because people we're trying to serve, they're not expecting it and they're caught off guard. Well, that's really interesting when you say that the, the resistance is really an indicator. It's not a bad thing. It's just an indicator that they're willing to work with you. They just don't know how. So you don't always have to see it as a bad thing. So that's fascinating. When I started my coaching business, the standard at that time was time-based pricing. 20 years ago, that's what everybody was doing. The coaching industry followed the pricing of other service entrepreneurs like bookkeeper or lawyer, right? You get X amount of coaching time and you pay X amount of money. It was all about the coaching session. So basically time for money. Now, Bumi, what would you say to that time-based pricing? Is it still prevalent in the coaching industry or has that changed? I think we've seen changes over the last few years. I feel like the coaching industry has become more mature. Um, and as you know, we've become more mature, we've started to see that it's not about charging an hourly rate. It's about really delivering on an outcome that your client is really interested in. And then if you're trying to deliver on that outcome, then it's not about what are you charging per hour and how many hours you're showing up, but it's more around um, you know, looking at different packages. So we've seen you know, coaches offer more and more packages over the last few years. And the packages are really based on outcome and value versus, you know, you get my time for X amount or whatever. Interesting. Now, the way I see it, if you allow the conversation to be about price, it will absolutely always be a hard conversation. My business uses, like you described, that result-based pricing model, which, as I was saying before, focuses on the outcome that the client can get. And the result-based package says, here's the outcome. When you work with me, here are the results you're going to get when you show up and do the work. And then I, as a coach, get to say, in order to support you to get those results, here's everything, including in your package, just like you were describing, Boomi. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's not just about showing up on coaching calls. It may even include some email support. It may include some resources that you're giving your clients. So it's the, you know, it's everything that you need in order to get the result you want to be able to provide, right? And that goes beyond just the, you know, hourly coaching. Exactly. Now, to be able to have the conversation about rates and pricing, you need to have the right mindset. You can't be triggered about money and attempt to go into a conversation where somebody's going to have the money resistance or money objections. You'll just swirl into that downward spiral. So I always like to make sure I or the other coaches that I work with, they've got the right mindset around money. Now, Bumi, I know you've got a lot of experience managing the Miracy's team of coaches. What mindset do coaches need to have when talking about the price of their service? Yeah, I mean, money is such a trigger issue for so many people. So when we're looking to price our own services, we're basically 
you know, selling ourselves and our whole identity and sense of self-worth is tied into that. And so, you know, we're making ourselves vulnerable when we are asking for a sale, when we're asking the client to pay a certain price for our package, because there's always a fear of rejection. And what does that mean if, you know, the client doesn't want to work with me at this price? You know, does, what does it mean about my self-worth and about the value that I have to offer? And when we get thinking in those terms, then it becomes really about us and our self-esteem and the need to protect ourselves and get defensive. And then we don't want to have that conversation. We just want people to accept, you know, we want to name the price by email, have them mail us the money. And so we never have to even talk about it. But, you know, that's not how business works. That's not how we can build relationships with people. So it's really important to sort of separate ourselves, I think, from, from our services and from our business so that it's not quite so uh, entangled with our self-worth. Melinda, has that been your experience as well? Yeah, it's, it takes both. Like we have to really address how we're showing up, what we believe the value is that we bring to the table and separate that from the packages and pricing that we provide to our clients. And, you know, I just want to add to that. If you as a coach, you know, have the mindset that your work is a nice to have luxury, then that's also going to make the money conversation really difficult because you don't even believe in yourself. You don't even believe in your services. And that's when you can drop into sales mode. And now you've got to convince yourself and convince people and you feel like you're manipulating. And that's the bad place I never want to get to. And you, you don't want to train people to negotiate with you, right? Like if you give into that once, then you're basically letting them know that you're open to future negotiations. Yeah, you're training them to negotiate with you. Yeah. Yeah, right. And I know that you've dealt with this and, you know, teaching and advising other coaches. How can a coach communicate that their service is a necessity to their clients? That's a great framing. That's a, that's a really great way to think about it. Um, I think it comes down to making sure you're solving a problem that's important to the person that you're talking to. And you can't really convince someone that they have a problem, right? You can only tap into the problem they already have and then communicate it in a way that gets them to see that, yes, you know, this is solvable and that working with you is going to accelerate or help them get there. Exactly. Now, going back to the question from Anonymous, if you had a longtime client who questioned your rates, would you consider giving that person a discount? That's a really interesting question. You know, a lot of uh, factors come into play, uh, but something that Anonymous said in their letter was that they would be a great client for them. So if you, when you're trying to raise prices and people have worked with you before, you know, there's an expectation that they are bringing to the table in terms of what they're getting from you and what they're paying. And so, first of all, the fact that they want to continue working with you or they want to come back and work with you is great, right? Because that means they really got a lot of value uh, the first time around. And then they also have certain expectations in terms of how much the service would cost. And so when you came back to them with, hey, by the way, these are my rates now, they were thrown off a little probably because they were not expecting it. And so oftentimes the resistance comes from being surprised. And so in that case, you know, I can see a justification for going back to them, you know, letting the client in on your thinking and potentially offering to work at the, um, the original rate that you had worked with them before and letting them know that in future, you know, the rate might go up. I don't ever want to feel like I'm on opposite sides of the table with my client, right? I don't want to be negotiating with them. I want to be on the same side as them. 
like, I think it helps if I can kind of let them in on my journey, you know, and, and something like, yeah, you know, when I started working with you, uh, I was just starting out. I learned a lot. It was really great. You know, clients like you really helped me get to where I am today. I often like to use the evolution of my coaching practice, rather the evolution of me and my services. I like to put it on my coaching practice. And so when I was a new coach and I charged in the beginning, I also charged for my time. And then I began to switch over to more of a result-based approach where I could bring more to the table to support my clients to get even better results. And because I'm bringing more to the table, therefore, I'm raising my rates. And these are the new rates uh, because you're getting more than just the coaching session, which is what it focused on in the beginning when we first started together. It's not just about time, but they're getting more support, different types of support that gives reason for an increased price rate. Yeah, I love that. It's great framing. Now, Bumi, let's talk about fear and money right now, because about 90% of the coaches that we get in uh, Coaches Console, they're in their first one or two years of business. They are usually so frightened about the money conversation that they will end up pricing their coaching based on a, a number of sessions or duration, like you know a three-month coaching package. We talked about that before, that time-based model. And because there's so much fear about the money conversation, the rate is usually extremely low. And so when we work with them, we teach them how to get out of that time-based pricing and move into the result-based packages like we've been talking about. And so why do, why do coaches fear the money conversation so much? Why do you think that is? Why don't we all fear money conversations? I mean, I don't remember the last time I looked forward to a money conversation, even with my husband. So I don't know. I think it's just it's it's just an awkward conversation. We're not raised in a culture to talk about money openly and transparently and, you know, without a lot of baggage and shame and stuff. You know, a lot of us, like we're used to having jobs and working with or working for other organizations. And so we never have to have the money conversation, right? We only have to have it when we're accepting the job offer and then money gets deposited into our accounts from some magical money tree. So it's not a conversation that we're used to having. I think like everything else, you get better at it the more of these conversations you have. And what I've found for me that works for me is, you know, fake it till you make it, right? Try to get through like your first 10 money conversations and then you're not going to have any issues with it. It's going to just become second nature and part of running a business because it's, you know, having money conversations, asking for the sale, those are really critical components of owning a business. You don't have a business if you can't ask for a sale because you need paying clients. Right. I really like what you said. It's something that we're not used to. The culture doesn't even have to be personal. It's just the culture that so many of us have been brought up in. It's not conversations that we're taught to have, especially if you're used to having, like you were talking about, you're used to having a job. And now you're in a whole new situation. And so you just have to practice and practice and practice. And then it will become less filled with fear and more like any other normal conversation. I'm not sure why, but we feel like this is a conversation, like making sales or having sales conversation is a natural thing that we should just automatically know how to do, like we know how to walk. And if we come at it from that perspective, then it, it becomes very difficult to you know, accept rejection and nervousness and stuff that comes from having to have these conversations because we think that we need to already know it rather than seeing it as a skill that can be learned. Right. And it starts with mindset, like we were talking about earlier. And then there's just things that you need to know about the skill set, and then you just keep practicing it. 
Now, going back to the dilemma that Anonymous is facing, what would be more important to you? Keeping the client, if you have that good relationship, or staying firm with your increased price? Which one would you choose, Bumi? So it's not necessarily about keeping the client or raising my rates. I don't see those as being mutually exclusive, first of all. But it's about making sure that I'm I'm honoring them and I'm honoring their feelings about me. And I'm making sure that they are well-supported and well-served, if not by me, then maybe by someone else. When we raised prices for our program, you know, we had some pushback from people who had been with the program for a couple of years. And they were feeling that we betrayed them because we raised prices on them. But the reality of the situation was that our cost of fulfilling the service had gone up dramatically. We were including a lot more things than we had when we had first started uh, the program. So that it wasn't really sustainable for us to continue offering the program at the same rate that we had been offering before. So, you know, I got on a call with them, absolutely heard them out, um, made them feel, you know, really hard. I acknowledged their concerns. I acknowledged that the validity of what they were bringing up. I shared with them all the reasons why it wasn't sustainable for us and that I value them as people. I really think we can help them. I value our relationship. I value the contribution they made to the program over the years. And so I'm, you know, I'm happy to extend them the guaranteed pricing for another year. I didn't shut them down. I didn't get defensive. And they also appreciated the ability to work with us for an extra year at the same uh, rate that they had been used to paying. And when it came time to renew, they all renewed at the at the new rate without any objections. So I guess it's about, you know, valuing the relationship and the trust factor and having conversations and doing things that are in alignment with uh, fostering more trust and more connection. I love how you just took us through that whole conversation so that we could see like how you navigated each part of that so that you presented the idea, the reasoning behind it. You acknowledged what they needed, but still teed up what the new prices were going to be. So the next time it came around, there was no surprise. And they, I just, I love how you took us through that whole conversation. Thank you for bringing us inside that behind the scenes look at how you navigate this. You're very welcome. So now anonymous, let's summarize some of the things that we talked about today. Price resistance is not unusual. You'll have clients who will question your rates but there are a few things you can do to handle that better or even avoid having the conversation at all. First, check your own mindset about money. And if you're triggered by money talk, take that to your coach before you talk to your clients. Two, focus on results when you're talking about your pricing. That is key. And make sure you establish the value of your services. Three, if you wanna honor a longtime client, that's fine. I suggest you do that by offering the guaranteed rate for a defined time frame rather than forever. And make sure you don't do the, oh, by the way, here's my new rate. People don't like surprises. And four, see your services as a necessity for your clients. That is required if you wanna practice result-based pricing, which I completely recommend. And finally, I believe as coaches and as business owners, we have a responsibility a responsibility as coaches to organize ourselves in a way that we can speak confidently about our rates and about the investments that people make with us. Because the more coaches keep their rates low because of fear to have the money conversation, the more the whole coaching industry diminishes overall. Boomi, any parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. 
Well, I just want to thank you for being here. I want to thank everybody for listening into this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you for this conversation. It is a necessary conversation. And Boomi, I hope to do this again with you sometime soon. Sounds like a plan. If you like today's episode, you'll surely enjoy the inspirational episodes over at Making It. In each episode, a successful entrepreneur will share what making it means to them and what they've learned along the way. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is a Miracy FM original production. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Danny Eni is our executive producer. I wrote this episode with Mishi Lance and Cynthia. If you don't want to miss future episodes, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you liked the show, please leave us a review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas out to more people. And if you have a question for Just Between Coaches, put the show title in the subject line and send it to podcasts at miracy.com. That's podcasts, plural, podcasts at miracy, M-I-R-A-S-E-E.com. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something 
really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud. We can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.